This is In the Making, a podcast exploring the origin stories of people who work in web design. Hi, welcome to In the Making. I'm Devin Asaro. I'm senior content strategist at Centerline Digital. And today I'm talking with James Callen, who is senior UX and content strategist at Substance Inc. and formerly the manager of digital content strategy at Sir Latab. How you doing, James? Good. How's it going, Devin? I'm doing well. Um, so I, I, I know that you recently just um, made a transition from uh, you know being in-house for a while at Sir Latab and, and, and moving to an agency, uh, Substance Inc. How's that transition been for you? Um, it's been a very interesting transition, in part because it's part of a much larger transition. It's, I think, it was basically a, a giant life transition because right. part of the motive for me actually switching was uh, my family. I, I, I grew up in Wisconsin. I've lived in Seattle since you know after college, so over twenty years. Um, and in the last year or so, we decided. The family decided to move down to the Portland area to be closer to my wife's family and kids with their cousins and some grandparents and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I left Sir Latab not because I was, you know, like I, I did not really want to leave, it, right. which is, you know, it was fine. It'd been three years. It's not like it was ridiculous, but, um, but, you know, it was a position that wasn't going to work out as a remote position. So, it. You know, I'm at Substance now basically because I moved to the Portland area and was job searching. But it's worked out really well, I think, career-wise because I, I don't have an agency background. I've always worked in-house right. prior to this. So it's been a big conceptual switch. I don't actually know how you agency guys do it yet. I mean, huh. I'm like two months into this and I'm like, this is just so different. I mean, it's not in a bad way and not in an insurmountable way, but it's a really different way of thinking about your approaches to things. Yeah, I, I, it definitely is. And it seems like, you know, because I've, I've kind of gone back and forth between the two of them, but but I've spent most of my time on the agency side. And it does it does seem like you have to learn, you know, when and, and where to, to be attached and when to detach from things, you know, in order to, to, to manage all of the work that you have to do and, and running, you know, with multiple clients at the same time. It's, it's definitely a, a, a different challenge, I think. Right, yeah. And just that having, I mean, you need to track hours to a degree that I never had to do in-house and, you know, exactly what you're doing on each project at any given time. And that all totally makes sense. And at the same time, it's not something I've, you know, just the logistics of it are not something I had to actually do consistently. Yeah, I've uh, I've been doing that for years, and and you can ask my manager. I I still don't have my timesheets <laughs> down. It's uh, it's a, it's a skill I don't think I'm going to learn. Yeah, I get reminded to track time and harvest about every couple of days from the project managers who are very nice about it. Yeah, <laughs> like they want to know, justifiably. And your uh, your agency as well has has a pretty specific focus, right? Like it's like outdoor adventure brands and, and yeah, that sort of adventure thing. brands is the term that I mean they decided that was their focus before I started, and that's the the term that they pursue. But it tends to be clients. A lot of it is very outdoorsy, um, you know. So things like Keen, things like Travel Oregon, things like um, the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife. There's I'd have to look back at the prior client list, but you know, primarily um, clients that have, you know, that kind of uh, approach or background or, or substance to their work. Yeah, and I imagine that's got to be a bit of a transition as well, coming from you know, a, you know, a specific vertical like I, I don't know what you call it, but like kitchen supplies and and 
you know, that sort of stuff to something that's that's very different. Are you finding that it's, you know, that that's sort of a challenge and is it changing the way that you approach your work? It is a challenge. Um, and part of, part of it is just simply, I mean, Sterlitab, for people who don't know, because I there are people who don't, it's a, it, it's, the second largest, I think, kitchen supply, kitchen, you know, housewares is is a good description of the vertical. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly what the technical term is, but it's, you know, the second largest chain after Williams-Sonoma. So, um, and one of the things I loved about working at Sir Latab um, in general was that it was a brand that people liked and, but it also had, I mean, it sells cooking stuff and I don't like to cook. And so that was, you know, a good, good marriage of, of interest and stuff that was going on. Um, and, uh, you know, I have to confess, I'm not the most outdoorsy type in the world. So, you know, my adventure tends to be like what's playing at the movie theater. So switching to working on, a, you know, that kind of focus, it's, it's an interesting challenge. It's not like, oh, I can't figure out how to do this. It's, it's more just, you know, it's, it's definitely having to learn and lean more on subject matter experts um, to a degree that I probably... There was just a baseline of knowledge at Sirlatab of kitchen and that and cooking and that sort of thing that wasn't it wasn't as necessary to get that fed to me by experts as well. Right, and you know, being in a, a UX and content strategy role, how much you know, if any, of your job is actually involved in, in you know content creation versus like strategy and, and systems for content. Um, that's a really good question because my career, so my background is as a copywriter, I right. mean, I, which is this, the usual content strategy origin story, I think. Um, but I started out, you know, I wrote originally stuff for catalog and web at a play company called Zones. It used to be multiple zones. They sell computer and IT stuff. Um, and moved around a bit and then, and then did, you know, freelance work for a while that was more advertising focused for places like Bond Macy's, which mm-hmm. at the time was Bond Macy's, and now it's just Macy's in the Northwest. Um, and then in-house again, I ended up going in-house at classmates.com, where again, I was a copywriter. And that's where I more or less made the career, the discovery of and career shift towards content strategy. But one of the things that I've deliberately tried to do is because it's so obvious that there's a large group of people, and I think this has been true for a while, who basically see content strategist as a, you know, it's a fancy title for copywriter, yeah. or it's a copywriter who thinks about things a little more, or I don't, I don't you know, but, but the primary focus is copywriting. I deliberately tried for a while to move away from that as a role. And when I went to Sir Latab, I actually started out as a content administrator there. I did no content creation whatsoever. Can you, can you tell me about what a content administrator is? I haven't heard that term before. Um, that's, I mean, that was their title. That mm-hmm. would, but what it boiled down to on a practical basis was there was just a lot more. I mean, Sir Latab's website runs on an e-commerce platform. It's not a content management system technically, although it sort of doubles as one. Right. Um, and that meant that just a lot of the job, especially early on, was simply learning how to get new content up on the site. And it was taking things that p- other people had produced and making sure that it got appropriately placed in the system so that it would be served up you know, to the web. Um, I don't know if that's a... I don't know if that's the term of art for that position or if that's, you know, something else. I mean, it was, it was especially at first a fairly production oriented position. Right. But then after, you know, after a while, um, 
you know, that was kind of an interesting challenge for a while, but then I was like, okay, I need to do more and, and shifted the position. Well, not even shifted. So we hired somebody else for that position and I ended up in a new position, which was the content strategy role, official title, which ended up also incorporating an awful lot of, I mean, I was a technically content strategist was the title officially UX team of one. And again, it was not a role where I was doing a lot of writing or content creation directly as part of my job. It was much more helping people create content better yeah. or more effectively and not doing it myself. And I can imagine, you know, both of those roles really are like make a lot of sense in terms of like moving into content strategy, but especially the, the content administrator role. I can imagine, you know, because I like to think about content strategists as people who, you know, got frustrated uh, you know, with the way that the way that things work, and wanted to change them. You know, because that seems that seems to be really the the common thread is, or as a copywriter, or I was doing this, and I imagine working so closely with the system. Um, you know, and seeing how you know, because that that would show you how content was created, who was creating it, uh, you know, where it was supposed to go. I, I could imagine that that would, you know, make make you frustrated, make you want to sort of step up and and actually change the the way that content was created and and, and the systems for creating content and managing it. Yeah, I mean, it was, and, and you know, on, to be honest, at the time, it was a, it was at best a lateral career move for me to take the administrator role. I mean, I was, you know, a senior copywriter. I was really good at copywriting. Mm -hmm. I totally burned out at classmates and then was freelancing for a while and really, um, I don't know if I'm cut out to be the freelancing type because right. it worked out okay, but it always nice to have the you know the security of the steady steady job so um, but also I mean one of the the other so I there it was kind of a conflation of interests where I wanted to work with content but not be a copywriter um, it seemed like at the time that they would need a content strategy role and I was able to inject some of that even at the beginning I mean you know one of the first things I did starting out as a content administrator there was stuff like hey you're still designing a lot of the website in images and like text in images and stuff because it looks bright on desktop, but we're not even including alt text in the image tags and stuff like that. So there was a lot of things that I was able to make changes on like that. That um, so it wasn't just a you know do this and don't ask questions, but it was definitely a. Um, it, and and some of this is in my experience is also the retail environment where. Right. You know, we need people to work fast and quickly and get stuff done. And and it's not that you can't ask questions, but there are times when those can, there are times when you can pursue that effectively, and times when questions just slow everything down and they don't want to slow down. Yeah, and you mentioned like burning out as a, a copywriter, and that's you know that's something that I experienced as well when I was a copywriter, and that I think a lot of people that I've talked to who you know have had that career path, you know, eventually get to a point where, you know, they feel like they have to make a change just because you know what they're doing isn't sustainable. Um, and I, I wonder, I wonder about this sometimes. Did copywriters used to have the same burnout rate that they do now, like before the web, or is it just a symptom of, of you know, the amount of content that often has to be created for the web is, you know, can can be really, I guess, tough for a copywriter to manage. I, that's a good question because I mean, I have to, I have to say specifically for me, it was not just that I burned out on copywriting. I've always had a sort of love-hate relationship with marketing copywriting or marketing in general yeah. where I'm happy to work with good marketers and I see the value in marketing as a discipline when it's done well. But in my experience, it's so often done 
not well and with motives that are not particularly I don't want to say pure I mean that overstates it but you know that it's very much a I don't know. I, I tend to think of marketing as very much the id of an organization. It's like we want, we want, we want, we want. Right. Um, and you know, your role as a marketer is to help you know satisfy the cravings of the organization for customers or business or whatever else it is. And it's very focused on what you want. And one of the things that really drew me to UX overall and you know and the content strategy in particular was that there was it. I you know. I don't know if it's exactly the superego, so a total opposite, but much more of a mediation of like, no, no, no. What do other people want? What do our potential customers right. want? And that came to a head with me at Classmates because, you know, they I learned a lot at Classmates and there's a lot of good people at Classmates, but that product was and still is not a particularly I mean, at the core of that business was not a well ethically thought out business. It was very much how do we bring people in? How do we, you know, get them to give us their money and then, you know, do the bare minimum more or less to get them to stop? And, you know, when I joined, there was a lot of talk and there had been talk before this and there's been talk since this about, you know, uh, well, they want to be a place because at the time that I was there, Facebook was basically created and on the rise. So the core business value of Classmates, which was reconnect with all these old friends of yours, was suddenly being done for free by Facebook. And there was a lot of, you know, like, oh, so we need to, you know, what value can we provide to people? But at the end of the day, it's really hard in my experience when you're at a company where they're making a profit because Classmates, when I was there, was always profitable. I mean, not booming profitable, but it was profitable. It's really hard to look at the current gravy train and go, hey, you know, in a few years, this is not going to be sustainable. Yeah. What are we building to, to prepare for that? When it's like, no, no, we need your time on, you know, like continuing to pour the gravy on this particular train. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think it's hard, um, you know, when a, a product isn't created, you know, around the idea of providing, a, you know, a really good user experience. I think it can be hard sometimes to to place that on top of the existing experience without, you know, really, you know, being willing to to change what what the product is at its core, right? And that was definitely the experience at Classmates. And you know, again, I don't want to badmouth it. It's it, there were I certainly knew people that had good experiences, both as customers and as employees. But at the same time, that you know, when I worked there, that was also the place where people would be like, you know, I work for Classmates.com, and they'd be like, uh, or you know, can you get me off your mailing lists or whatever else? Yeah. And, and you know, it's not eventually when that is the primary thing, you know, that your brand has some problems. Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard being somebody that is user experience minded that and and that really cares about that and wants to do that. You know, wants to focus on user experience as a career uh, to work in an environment where um, user experience really takes a back seat. You know, I know I had the same experience. You know, working at an agency where it was very marketing driven. You know, and I was. I was practicing content strategy, but it was almost it was almost kind of a facade and and not really implemented, and that's sort of the worst feeling. But I feel like that can you know that can drive you further into user experience and and really wanting to do the right thing um, in your next role, just because it feels so terrible to be on the other side of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I don't want to put it out. I mean, like Sir Latab was great, and I loved there, and again, didn't want to leave. But it's not like they had everything all figured out. Um, they certainly are, you know, it's e-commerce, so there is still that kind of, you know, like we need customers to come in and spend money. But at the same time, the, the fundamental approach was just different. You know, it's not like it was a UX paradise, but at the same time, they were open to that right. much more because 
it wasn't undermining, you know, the the core in making pro user changes were not somehow jeopardizing the current business. Yeah. And you and I uh, talked a little while ago with, and I think Mike Atherton on Twitter, we were talking about you know uh, uh, card sorting because he he was doing um, he was doing a card sorting exercise with uh, with Optimal Sort and was looking for for users and and you mentioned having used that um, for for a project on Sur La Top. I wonder if you could uh, tell me a little bit about that work. Yeah, that was actually one of the earliest. Pro- I mean, so it's been. A, it was a couple of years ago. It was one of the earliest projects I did after making the transition to being the content strategist and also the user experience person. Right. The guy who does the user experience. <laughs> that guy. Um, yeah, that guy. Um, and it was. I mean, basically, I. It was a project I inherited, and it was just. A, it was a good project because it was. More or less, the navigation on the website was old at that point. You know, they they had done a major site overhaul four years ago. So you know, a couple of years before then, maybe three years before then, and you know, at the time, the the organization. So literally, the global navigation of the site, where you would come in and go like, "What's here?" You know, like there is stuff for cooking and there's stuff for this. Right. Um, was. Very obviously, um, a it pretty much exactly mirrored Williams Sonoma for reasons I will not. Uh, you can probably <laughs> guess. Yeah. Um, but also, it really mirrored the uh, internal structure of the buying department, um, and it wasn't a terrible organization by any means, but it was also very clearly not optimized towards what our customers thinking about. Right. Um, and they had had an agency do some some new look and feel for the overall site and that they had proposed making navigation changes and so they had some ideas about what they wanted to do but I was like you know hey we need why don't we get some people who are actual customers to tell us if this organization makes any sense so we ended up doing that that got by off Um, you know my boss was all for it Uh, when what we ended up doing you know, I think we talked when we were talking with Mike about it being uh, an, a mixed sort or hybrid mm-hmm. sort because we did give people the categories that we thought would be there. Um, that like, and those had sort of been proposed by the agency, but then there had been some internal work on that. But also, I'd said, you know, we need to let people make other categories if they want to, or yeah. rename the categories if they want to, because um, that's one of the things that I find fascinating and really interesting is just how people the the actual words that people use to talk about your products I think that's one of the most interesting challenges in some ways yeah for content I, strategy I like that it, it you know and it, it's I think doing a hybrid sort of allows you to kind of treat your users less like test subjects and more like you know kind of co-designers on a small part of the project that you're allowing them to you know bring new ideas to the table just because I think it, it can be tough when, you know, unless you're trying to answer a very specific problem, it can be tough to get new insight without allowing users to bring new items or new terms to the table. Right. Um, and then the other thing that we did there, actually, which was, uh, which turned to be a great, great idea, um, was instead we used images only to have people sort them. So instead of saying, you know, skillet, where would you put this? Yeah. It was a picture of, a skillet and a or a picture of whatever thing. So there were there were a lot of things where it was, you know, the the person may or may not even know what it was in the first place. I mean, yeah. most of them they did, but that helped a lot because there were things like, you know, a 
a lot of people call it a skillet. Some people call it a frying pan. Some right. people call it something else. Right. So I didn't want to have that language tipping them into some category or another. Um, but it was a good idea. I mean, without and and also having the pictures meant that they were really thinking about them in terms of function and not you know not grouping these together because they happen to share a piece of a name or something like that. So that worked out really well. That's that's really interesting. I've never heard of that before. Um, but that's that's a that's a really cool idea. Idea I imagine, especially for e-commerce, where um, you know users are are very visual shoppers. Yeah, and I mean, it's not obviously you can't do it all the time. I mean, we're doing uh, card sort right now for an internal client, and the the concepts don't make sense to use to try to do visually. It, right. It's not going to work. It didn't, you know, didn't work to set it up that way at all. So um, there's nothing wrong with using that. But you know, since we had the opportunity, it was a, a really nice thing to do. That's yeah. I, and just out of curiosity, what uh, did you use Optimal Sort for that, or or what uh, what program did you use? It was actually UX Punk, who I believe then were bought by Optimal Sort okay. because we're currently using Optimal Sort. So I don't know. It, I mean, the new one that we were doing is definitely very similar. I have no idea exact. I can't remember specifically how much it is exactly like the old version. Yeah, yeah. I, I love I love those programs, and I love being able to do um, you know the, having the flexibility and uh, you know to do them remotely and do them digitally and 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 capture some of those insights, but. Every once in a while, I really enjoy getting to do like a an in person manual card sort with actual cards. Yes, because there there is something about the tactile, you know, sensation of of actually moving items around that I think people are a little bit more a little bit more willing to to pick something up and move it and and try a few different options. Whereas I think there's something about the digital experience of moving something that feels a little bit more final, where yeah. people are always asking permission to move something out of a category. Even though I've told them it's okay, right? Yeah, with it, I mean, yeah, it does feel kind of like when you drag it on digital, it's it's sad because we did, you know, I didn't do it with um, users, you know, end users as much, but mm-hmm. we did incorporate more card sorting with internal stakeholders and stuff like that, and that was always nice to be able to do both, you know, there and having discussions at the same time, and then also with those physical cards because yeah. People will shuffle them, shuffle them around, and, and see where they go, and try different spots. Yeah, it's cool. Um, the other day we were we were also talking on Twitter, which is I think the only place you and I have ever talked. But uh, yeah, know, I don't I, think we've met in person yet. Yeah, uh, but we you know it was where we were, we were all joking about you know uh, ideas for you know for new confabs and. Uh, you know, one of yours w- was uh, confab for people who aren't sure if they're content strategists, but uh, like hanging around with content people. Uh, yes. And it's funny because I talked with uh, Michael Metz pretty recently, and he's, he sort of expressed the same thing. Like, he doesn't know that he's a content strategist, he doesn't necessarily identify as that, but he, for some reason, he says he keeps wanting to be around content strategists. So I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about how you see yourself in, in relation to content strategy as a discipline. That is a really good question. I mean, I spent, like I said, when I was at, like the 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 seminal Alista Part articles came out um, by Kristen Halverson and Jeff McIntyre. You know, when those came out, I was at Classmates.com, and I read those, and I was like, that that is what I want to do. That is exactly, you know, this this it was like a light bulb on, um, and clarified a lot of. Approaches to me, but I also, you know, because I was already in house and I taught it was senior copywriter, and that never changed. 
I think for the first couple of years that I was into content strategy and doing stuff, I was very concerned with, I like all these ideas. I'm not able to do, you know, many, most, whatever, you know, like there's a whole bunch of them I can't do. Right. You know, my title is this. Should I call myself a content? I should not call myself a content strategist. That's crazy. You know, like that's just rude to actual content strategists <laughs> to call myself a content strategist. Um, and I, I don't even know exactly when I got over that because it was the, and I still, I, I actually, you know, even at Sir Latab, where my job title was content strategist, I'd be like, well, but my day job is mostly like I do a lot of stuff that's user experience that's not directly. I would not, you know, if, if I were card sorting all of this in my life, I would not say this is content strategy. So it was like, but I had the same dilemma there, actually, where I was like, I don't know if I'm a content strategist, but I also don't know if I'm a user experience designer. And if I'm in user experience, what is it that I'm doing all, yeah. all the time while I'm actually doing user experience? So I, that is my own hang-up, where I get very concerned with not wanting to offend people who ha- already have the title by somehow claiming it for my own. But yeah. I, you know, I... I've definitely, especially with content strategy and with user experience, I think in the last couple of years I've been much more comfortable just saying, you know, there's content strategist is clearly such a broad, it covers such a broad range of things that people do, both in terms of, you know, the actual day to day things that they do in their job, the kinds of clients that they have, where they sit in organizations and what they do, that there's not an issue with me calling myself a content strategist. And, you know, I, you know, I deliberately choose to approach content strategy as at least allied with, if not part of user experience as an overall discipline. I'm not particularly interested in, although, I mean, as a career practice, content strategy as part of marketing. Right. Um, that doesn't right. mean that that doesn't exist or anything like that, but that um, I think that there was a time where, you know, not immediately afterwards, but, you know, maybe a year after the Alista part stuff where content strategy seemed to be kind of absorbed by mar- content marketing for a while. And yeah. like when you said content strategist, people assumed that you were talking about content marketing. And I think that the pendulum is swinging or has swung or whatever, but it's, in, you know, that has swung away from that some. And that was another one of those things where it was like, I don't know if I want to call myself a content strategist if that implies that I'm doing content marketing because what I don't want to be doing is content marketing. Yeah. And it seems like also because of the, the newness of the discipline, there there really is an emphasis on you know, on content strategist rather than content strategy, like, you know, defining yourself as as a content strategist, you know, says something about uh, you as a professional. And, and you know, it's it's I, I hear it less as I'm practicing content strategy and more that I'm a content strategist where you look at older disciplines like information architect or information architecture and you you less often hear people identifying as information architects and more often talk about practicing information architecture, even though they may identify as like a user experience designer or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point, mostly because I, I mean, I simultaneously, you know, content strategy is in my title, but I also, you know, I think again, a couple of years ago, um, really when I was teaching uh, intro workshops for content strategy at the School of Visual Concepts in Seattle, I really got, it became really clear to me just seeing who was coming to the classes that there weren't, especially at the time, there weren't a lot of people who were coming in. They were kind of in my position where it's like their title was not content strategist. And they may or may not want to actually adopt that as their title, but they were doing stuff that was content strategy. So it's interesting because to your point, I think that it's in some ways maybe the role, the title 
is a more comfortable fit for people now because they accepted that it was a discipline. I don't know. This is I'm kind of spitballing on that, but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting way of thinking about it. Yeah, and you know, I, I, I'm sort of the same way uh, in terms of um, you know, I definitely feel really closely associated to the idea that, of being a content strategist, but at the same time, you know most days I feel more like an information architect because where I spend most of my time is is really in dealing with information architecture and, and sometimes I actually feel kind of far away from the content. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I, we talked about this before on the podcast with, with a few other people, but, you know, I think it really comes down to, you know, where where your point of origin is in trying to solve a problem, you know, because we're all going to, we're all going to borrow tools from user experience and information architecture and, you know, marketing and, and all of those things. But, you know, it seems to be just just sort of a, a, a good way to help identify a person's role on a, on a given project. Yeah, I think that's very true. Uh, well, James, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. This was a, a really good conversation. Oh, good. I'm glad. Uh, yeah. It was. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And uh, looking forward to hopefully meeting you at some point at a, at a confab or or something else in the future. Yeah, I think I will be. I, I've been off conferences the last couple of years for mm-hmm. a variety of reasons, but I think this coming year I will be attending more of them at the very least. So That's I'm cool. looking forward to getting back out there again. All right. Well, I'll talk to you later, James. Cool. Thanks a lot, Devin. Thanks, Thanks. for the invitation. Oh, yeah. Yeah.